Hey folks, have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you've been listening to the Whitfield Report for a while and you're starting to think to yourself, hey, you know what? I could do this podcast thing, but where the hell do I start? Well, folks, I've had a lot of friends ask me that in the last few weeks, and I'm here to tell you all that Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast. This means you can get paid to podcast right away. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now by reading this ad. You're damn right that's what I'm doing. And what I like about Anchor is that whether you're a novice or an expert, it's incredibly easy to use. They have uh, great tools that you can use to record and edit your podcast if you're a novice just starting out. Or if you're like me and you're an old pro at this, you can bring your own tools and record your audio and then upload the files yourselves. Whichever way you podcast, it's extremely easy to use Anchor, and I highly recommend them. So get started today by going to anchor.fm forward slash start. And I can't wait to hear your podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Now go out there and make some podcasts. Greetings to you, savages. It's uh, Wednesday, hump day, and I'm here a bit early to uh, bring you a bonus episode of the Whitfield Report. Yeah, I'm checking on you a day early, kiddos. How you doing? It's uh, Savage Sam here, the Whitfield Report Wednesday bonus edition. And uh, this is one that you've requested for quite a long time. People have been begging me to do this uh, podcast for a uh, a couple months now. Actually, probably longer than that. But uh, ladies and gentlemen, it's uh, it's inevitable that this podcast happens today. Uh, as many of you know, I've been in radio, or I guess podcasting, since I was 13. Uh, that's when I started this whole crazy journey into podcasting. And uh, it's not quite my podcasting anniversary yet. But it is fitting that it's o- October now. By the way, happy October to you all in the, uh, the Savage Express. Um, but October is the anniversary month of when I interviewed, uh, Ben Shapiro on my old show, The Whitfield Report, back in 2012 when I was a senior in high school. So many of you since then have discovered me and found me, and, uh, you know, some of you have heard that interview, gone back and found it, others of you haven't found it yet. So, uh, I'm going to go ahead and actually 
post that for you so that you can hear that in this episode. Uh, now, keep in mind a few things. Uh, and let me give you a little backstory, actually, as to how that all happened. Right? So, when I was uh, in... When I was in 8th grade, that was the, uh, you know, 2008 election between Obama and McCain, and I was a political nerd, and, uh, you know, that's when also the uh, PC culture started coming into effect, and I was studying, uh, you know, the election polls, and Obama's record seemed all over the place, so I just merely questioned, you know, Obama's legitimacy as a candidate, got called a racist for just merely questioning it. So, uh, you know, me being the political junkie that I was even at age 14, I decided to, uh, you know, try my hand at this new thing called podcasting. And, um, you know, like I, I have to admit my first episode, my very first podcast ever, my voice hadn't even cracked. Uh, you know, I still sound like a kid. And uh, it was basically like a Rush Limbaugh kind of ripoff, you know, thing. I'm not going to lie. But, um, you know, I started the podcast in eighth grade. Once I got into high school, some of my friends started listening to it and, you know, loved it. So I continued to do more. Uh, admittedly, a lot of my podcast episodes in high school were kind of cringe, admittedly, because, you know, I was I was a teenager and, uh, you know, teenagers don't know a lot about a lot of stuff, let alone, you know, politics. And, uh, you know, so I, I admit that maybe I started a little young. But at the same time, maybe I didn't. And I'll explain that in a bit, too. Um, but when I was 16, that was when Andrew Breitbart uh, launched the Breitbart websites uh, you know, the original ones, big Hollywood, big government, all that stuff. And uh, I followed him, you know, I followed the websites, I should say. 2011 was the year that I got my Twitter. And, um, you know, Breitbart was one of the, like, first big conservatives that I followed on Twitter. Um, And he was funny, he was you know, very cunning. He was, he wasn't really a political guy. He seemed to be more like a guy who was into pop culture and whatnot, and then just got like, you know, kind of dragged into the political war. In fact, his book, uh, Righteous Indignation, kind of points to that fact, uh, you know, as well, ladies and gentlemen, that he really was a culture war, a war, that he really was, you know, more or less like a cultural guy who was into movies and music and got pulled into, you know, politics, and that really spoke to me, you know, like age 16 or whatever, because I felt the same way, so I really liked Andrew Breitbart, and that was when I discovered, discovered, uh, Dennis Miller, and, um, that was, you know, that was a big turning point for me, uh, but then, like, when I was 17, March of 2012, that was when Breitbart passed away. 
it was a huge blow to me. I mean, I, I never met Andrew, but his work was just so uh, very influential. And I remember uh, listening to Breitbart's CPAC speech where he talked about, you know, conservative unity, how we, how we couldn't, you know, keep being the GOP of old. We had to become, you know, we had to become, you know, citizen journalists and take up, you know, online, you know, blogging and social media. We had to become fearless. Otherwise, we were going to lose. And, uh, you know, if you don't support the candidate, you're on the other side. Like, that's the standout line I remember. And I remember being 17 and, like, that really, you know, that spoke to me, his CPAC speech did. Like, I feel like he was directly talking to me. You know, and then a month later, he passed. And, you know, when I was, like, before then, I had just been doing the show, you know, kind of like as a hobby uh, you know, I enjoyed it. It was a good way for me to express myself. But, you know, after Breitbart's passing, and, you know, uh, watching his speeches, and getting everything, getting my hands on everything that I could of Andrew Breitbart's, I, I knew that, like, this was my life's passion. And so I wanted to pay tribute to uh, Breitbart. And, uh, you know, obviously I couldn't talk to him because he had passed. And uh, I wasn't going to try, uh, you know, to, to reach out to the other dimension. Uh, that wouldn't have worked out, I don't think. And uh, that's a joke, ladies and, and gentlemen. But no, in all seriousness... I, um, I, I wanted to talk to people who knew Breitbart, and so, um, I had, I had seen Ben Shapiro, uh, writing for Breitbart, uh, he was kind of, I always like to say that Ben Shapiro back in the day was Robin to Andrew's Batman, essentially. Um, you know, and Ben Shapiro was kind of an, an up-and-coming young conservative at the time, and keep in mind, this is pre-Daily Wire, this is, you know, like, he was still, I think he had just become, like, editor at that point, and then Breitbart passed. So, I reached out to, uh, you know, Ben, I, I sent him an email, and uh, also at this point, he had just debated Pierce Morgan uh, on gun control in the immediate aftermath of Sandhook. So, like, he was already starting to become, like, a, a bit of a, you know, name in the conservative movement, but he wasn't as big as he is now, if that makes sense. And uh, I just took a chance and reached out to him and emailed him. I, I can't remember if I have the original email, but I think the email I wrote was... Uh, you know, something along the lines of, you know, hello, Mr. Shapiro, you know, my name is Sam Whitfield, I'm a senior in high school, and I have this podcast, uh, I was a big fan of Andrew, he really inspired me, I'd like to have you on the show, because uh, I know that you, you know, obviously you guys just lost him, but um, I'd like to 
pay tribute to him and uh, would you mind maybe coming on my show and sharing some stories about Andrew? You know, thank you very much for your time and I loved my contact info. Um, wasn't expecting her to hear back, but then from what I remember, I think I got an email either the same day that I sent it or like a day after. And to my surprise, he was like saying, sure, you know, where'd your show at? You know, uh, what time, how do I call in all that? So at the time I was, uh, on blog talk radio, which I think Andrew Breitbart might have actually had a blog talk radio show at the time. And uh, so Ben called in and um, we did the, sh we did the uh, show and I was super, super nervous as you're going to hear. Uh, you know, like I was just like, I think I did pretty well considering it was like my first big interview, but still I was kind of, you know, looking back, I was essentially kind of shitting a brick because, you know, like true that Ben wasn't as big as he was, but like he was still kind of becoming Ben Shapiro. He was still kind of a big deal, you know, and here I was just a high school kid in the, you know, in the midst of in the middle of Colorado, you know, in October, it was getting cold, and I was just some kid doing my show out of my, you know, parents' basement, literally. Um, and so, you know, we did the show, and I think, you know, in hindsight, it turned out real well. And uh, I want you guys to hear this. Now, one other note I have to make is uh, Blog Talk Radio back in the day. For those of you who don't know how Blog Talk Radio worked, basically, it was a glorified, like, conference calling system to where, like, hosts would call in on their cell phones and then um, you would dial in and... Uh, it would connect you to like a control panel that you would like access on your computer. And then, uh, you know, you, you would broadcast do that. But the reason I bring that up is, you know, the audio quality basically, and then like, you, you know, your guests would conference in. The reason why I bring that up is the audio quality basically sounds like a conference call. You know, it was 2012. That was the best we had back in the day, but it, it's still, compared to this podcast and compared to, like, you know, what we have now in 2019, you know, right now we're kind of living in a golden age of podcasting, but, you know, back in the day, no one, like, the only people who knew what podcasts were, were were really the hobbyists, you know, like my, like myself, you know, and like some of the early Adam Carolla fans and the early Joe Rogan fans. But, you know, like other than that, most people didn't know what podcasting was. And so it was very niche. And, you know, so like as a result, we didn't have great, you know, it just wasn't a thing back then like it is now. And so, you know, compared to today's standards, the audio quality is shit. But, um, you know, I did try and clean up this uh, interview a bit. So, um I hope you will enjoy hearing a very young, you know, me, a very young Sam, 
uh, interviewing Ben Shapiro. And, uh, you know, I'll come back and afterwards and... Uh, You know, I'll uh, do some commentary afterwards. But yeah, without further ado, let's uh, flash back to my old show, The Whitfield Analysis. Uh, and here's the interview with Ben Shapiro, folks. I hope you all enjoy it. And uh, without further ado, let's take it away. So, um, first of all, sir, I'd like to ask you a little bit about yourself. How did you uh, get started? Um, in the blogging industry, I guess. Uh, well, you know, I uh, I started off when I was really young. I, I started off as a columnist for the UCLA Daily Bruin, uh, and then got a syndicated column about uh, a year later when I was 17 years old. So I was the youngest syndicated columnist in the country. Um, it was about that time that I met Andrew, actually. Andrew saw my column in the UCLA Daily Bruin uh, and was impressed that there was some – this is how Andrew was. He was impressed that there was somebody there who uh, who was conservative, uh, and uh, he emailed me out of the blue. He was the other half of, of Matt Rudge's website at that point. He had nothing to, you know, he had not started his own enterprises at all. Um, and uh, he said, why don't we get together? And we ended up at like a taco shop in, in Westwood, which is typical Andrew. Um, and, uh, you know, over time, my career grew, his career grew. And by the time he hired me, we had been friends for, you know, over a decade. And it, he uh, he said on Dennis Miller's show that it was the longest political for, political flirtation uh, in American history because we'd been talking about working together for about a decade. Um, and uh, so he hired me, and, uh, you know, unfortunately three weeks later he he dropped dead, which was obviously tragic for everybody. So, um, you know, it was just – it was through the grace of God that I was uh, allowed the opportunity, number one, to know Andrew, but number two, to to help out when he died carrying forward his legacy. Wow. Well, what well, you know, he was one of my uh, heroes – as well, I don't. I don't think I've ever seen anyone uh, more passion passionate than him. Um, what was he like as a person? <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's funny. Uh, he was. Andrew described himself pretty well. He, he understood himself pretty well. He he said that um, he was. He basically had two modes. One was. Uh, one was kind of sheer hilarity and the other was complete and utter righteous indignation which is of course the name of his book and uh, that was pretty much, that, that's pretty accurate that's who Andrew was, he was either randomly like extraordinarily upset with the political situation and, and fighting all the time uh, or he was uh, jocular, I think he used the word jocularity a lot um, so that's, that, that's who Andrew was. He, was, he was hysterically funny, uh, one of his favorite things to do with me was that I'm an orthodox Jew and very socially conservative uh, Andrew was not Socially conservative, he wasn't socially liberal. He didn't. He he wasn't. He wasn't really into social politics very much. Um, but he was very. Uh, you know, he, he he used to like making dirty jokes in front of me, and then uh, and then waiting for me to laugh. Uh, and then he'd kind of look at me and wait for me to laugh. Uh, and then he'd start laughing hysterically as soon as I gave him a little bit of a chuckle. So that 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 was one of Andrew's favorite things. That that's kind of who Andrew was. He he was a prankster. He, was, he, he saw himself as a merry prankster. He was somebody who liked to have fun with it. Uh, in the last years of his life, obviously, as he became bigger and bigger, um, it, I think it was still fun for him, but it also became a much more serious game for him. He, he became much more serious about it. Uh, he always had a good time with it, but he, he saw kind of what was at stake in the country, and especially with the, the leftist reaction against the Tea Party, uh, he became much more of the righteous indignation guy and uh, the jocularity guy 
had to take a backseat because we were living in serious times. Yeah, uh, definitely. Well, he he will be missed. Uh, one uh, question relating to his death that I do want to bring up real quick before we get into Benghazi because I've been getting emails about this. Um, there are some individuals out there who believe that he was assassinated. No, I don't. Be- There's no evidence to that whatsoever. I knew Andrew. I knew Andrew longer than anybody at the company, with the exception of Larry Soloff, who knew him since he was five years old. Uh, there's no evidence to that effect whatsoever. Uh, Andrew had a congenital heart defect. Uh, he was adopted, so nobody knew that he had a congenital heart defect because nobody knew his parents. Um, and uh, and so you know he he just dropped dead. I mean there was there was no there was no alcohol involved, no drugs involved. There was no, it wasn't about his weight. It wasn't about anything except uh, probably a certain amount of stress and uh, and his. Uh, and you know this this congenital heart defect. There's no evidence whatsoever that there was any you know anything dirty afoot. I know in the days after he died, there's a lot of talk about that. Um, and those of us who knew him well, uh, you know, we knew that it was it was nonsense right off the bat. But they, you know, there were a lot of people obviously who were trying to make a big deal out of that or suggest that it was the case. There's again no evidence to suggest that. Um, and uh, in fact, there's you know evidence to the contrary. So. All right. Well, that's good to hear. I I never believed it. Either myself, um, but anyway, uh, one of the um, reasons why I brought you on here, other than that I'm a big fan of your work, is um, I saw your article um, that you wrote. You've been writing. You guys have been covering uh, this whole issue with Benghazi a lot, and um, so I just want to ask you a couple questions. Um, so my show is targeted primarily at the high school uh, generation and the college generation. Um, so my first question is, what do you think is going on with uh, Benghazi? Why is the president? Um, why has the president president been so um, incompetent with the situation? And why is this important to? America. In well, I mean, it should be important to every American when Americans get killed. But I mean, beyond that, this is a reflection of the uh, of the president's cowardly foreign policy. Uh, he's somebody who had suggested everything was sort of hunky dory in Libya and preferred to ignore the ramifications of what was going on in terms of the terrorist threat there, just like he's preferred to ignore the ramifications of the terrorist threat, particularly Islamic terrorism everywhere else. Uh, there, there are several issues to do with Benghazi that are incredibly disturbing. The first is, how is it even possible that we don't have Marines on the ground protecting our ambassador in Benghazi? We're not talking about having Marines on the ground to protect our ambassador in, say, France, where, by the way, we do have Marines that protect the ambassador. We're talking about freaking Benghazi. Okay, Benghazi is one of the most terrorist-laden places on earth. The entire city was controlled by a terrorist group called Ansar al-Sharia. It turns out that was the exact terrorist group that murdered the ambassador. We didn't have security there. That's question number one. Question number two is why the president then proceeded to blame a YouTube video for several months, right? I mean, for, for weeks and weeks and weeks, going on two months, he, he blamed a YouTube video uh, for the for the assassination of our ambassador, which was insane. I mean, there was nothing to do with the YouTube video. So that begs the question of why did he lie about it? And the answer as to why he lied about it, it's turning out now, is because he had every ability to stop what was going on in the terrorist attack, apparently. Apparently, we had drones in the air, uh, in the area. We had gunships that were available to go to the site of the terrorist attack. 
We had told we had agents available, and they were told to stand down. Eventually, because they were heroes, they just ignored the order and went to save their comrades. But um, this is what the Obama administration is all about. They're cow they're cowards, um, and on foreign policy, they've been hiding behind the uh, the Bin Laden kill for several years at this point. Uh, and the fact is this: the Bin Laden kill is not a foreign policy. And any president, any president, including Jimmy Carter, would have made the call to kill Bin Laden. That was not even a close call. What is a closer call is do you send support to save our ambassador? And President Obama stood there and did nothing. Apparently, I mean, there are now reports coming out that he was sitting there watching it live in the Situation Room at the White House as this whole thing was going down and didn't do a thing to help save our folks. So, I mean, it should be disturbing to every American when the President of the United States is not doing anything to protect our ambassadors, to protect U.S. staff. It has nothing to do with politics. This is impeachable stuff. Um, and for him to suggest that people are just playing politics over the death of Americans, is, it's insipid. There's no, there's no justification for, for, him, for that accusation. His righteous indignation during the debate was maybe the saddest display of political chicanery that I've seen in my lifetime. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think it is impeachable stuff. What um the whole thing just stinks. Um you know, I'm uh, I'm a senior in high school and I've been in this talk radio thing. I've I've been involved politically for the last uh four years doing a blog and a in a talk show and I've never seen this most this uh much corruption from any uh political uh office one of the things that completely baffles me though it it doesn't shock me but i think it is an issue that needs to be brought up why are we not hearing about this from the mainstream media well, do you think i mean the answer is because and this is one of andrew's big kicks but you know the mainstream media is uh they're they're lackeys they're lackeys for the obama administration on the sunday shows this morning i mean our lead piece on the site was this um you know written by joel pollack who's our editor-in-chief and, and joel and i discussed it before he wrote it the, the, the fact is that the sunday shows this morning didn't, didn't even ask a single question about it the only person who asked a question about it was bob schieffer and it was a follow-up question to something that a republican asked so what we're watching here is the mainstream media trying to run out the clock in this election cycle. They think that if they just ignore Benghazi, ignore Libya, it won't have any effect on the election. They're wrong. Obama's going to lose, and one of the reasons he's going to lose is because he's a coward on foreign policy, and we're seeing it. Do Do you think that like it? I I don't want to go on into conspiracy theories here, but I honestly think that the president is trying to hide something sinister here. Am I the only one that feels that way or I mean is No, I mean I think I think we have to wait and see what all the information is before we know exactly what it was he's trying to hide. There's no question he's trying to hide something. Um you know at the beginning we thought maybe he was trying to hide the fact that there was a terrorist attack at all. And now it appears that he was trying to hide the fact that he could have stopped it and did nothing. Um and now there are, you know, other rumors out there about what exactly we were doing in Benghazi in the first place. There was a CIA office there. Um, you know, there, there are questions as to what was happening there. So what we're watching right now is the unraveling of the Obama foreign policy, and Paul Ryan has said that, and so has Mitt Romney, and they're exactly correct. Obama's foreign policy is based on, uh, I mean, it, it really is chewing gum and bailing wire, uh, and they just, they, they have no clue what they're doing, uh, or if they do have a clue what they're doing, it's even more nefarious than I'm suggesting right now, because if they have a clue what they're doing and this is, their, and this is how they act, then uh, there is no justification for this administration. No, no, there certainly is not. Well, um, Mr. Shapiro, I certainly uh, thank you for your time, and uh, I 
like to talk to you more in private maybe about helping out with Breitbart and some of that stuff. But in the meantime, uh, thank you for your time and thank you for coming on. And uh, where can we find you other than uh, Breitbart? You can follow me on Twitter, at Ben Shapiro. That's the easiest way to see all my stuff. I also write a syndicated column for Town Hall. And if you want to listen to me on the radio, you can tune in every weekday, 6 to 9 a.m., Carol A. 870, which is uh, one of the stations in Los Angeles. So Carol A. 870.com. All right. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot. All right, ladies and gentlemen, so that is the uh, famed, or I guess infamous, Ben Shapiro interview that launched my, uh, you know, like, I, that was kind of the interview that, uh, and I didn't plan it this way, but that's kind of the interview that, uh, like, broke me in and that I made my bones with in the political, uh, you know, world. Uh, after that, that was, uh, when Jason Veely, uh, found me shortly thereafter. I, I think Caden Cowger, who we had, uh, you know, we, we had both met kind around that time. He found me and then Jason found me and, uh, you know, Caden was doing his thing and Jason was starting Junior Factor Nation at the time, and he wanted me to come on and join his network. And uh, so we did, and uh, Jason had already been doing, like, local access television, I think, in Connecticut, where he's from. But then uh, with Junior Factor Nation, obviously, that was 2012. And by that time, like, internet radio was becoming a little bit better, but it still wasn't what it is today. But we did pretty good, I think, back in the day. And, uh, you know, then we ran strong when we separated. I can't even remember, like, why we broke the group up. I, I think, honestly, I think it was an ego clash, which I will admit partial responsibility. I think we just had way too many creative differences at the time. And, uh... You know, I remember, I remember there was a little bit of fighting on the way out the door, but not that much. Then I started NGC Media with Matt. Then that kind of, you know, fumed out. Um, but, you know, and then I went to write for that Never Trump blog in 2015 and, you know... Then I did my own thing after that, and here we are. So that's kind of a summation of my, like, history. I know I'm missing some gaps. I mean, I've been doing this podcasting for so long now that, you know, sometimes events in my timeline, in my own timeline, get jumbled down, which, you know, maybe people are right. Maybe, people, maybe I finally do need to write my memoir. Uh, but in all seriousness, though... Um, you know, Jason obviously came on the live stream the other night with his brother, and it was great talking to them again, and, uh, you know, 
and Jason and Tate, if you guys are if you guys are listening to this, uh, you know, you said that I've helped you out. Well, you guys helped me out way back when, back in the day. You know, you you guys let me get started, and uh, you know, and also I guess thank you Ben Shapiro for helping me get start get started. I mean, I I know that. The other thing is, Ben Shapiro and I have not been in contact for a long time. I don't, he probably doesn't remember, he probably wouldn't remember me from Adam now, but like back in the day, that interview helped me blow, blow up. And I am, uh, you know, I'm thankful that I, you know, interviewed Shapiro and I'm thankful also for Andrew Breitbart and his influence and Rush Limbaugh. And, uh, you know, all those, all the influences that I had at, like, an early age, and, you know, granted, I'm not so much into politics, well, I shouldn't say I'm not into politics, but I'm not as much a strictly political guy now as I was, you know, I've, I've kind of become more of, like, a pop culture guy, you know, now, in addition to, to politics, and, uh, I mean, it's just, I don't even know how to fully explain, you know, thinking back, um, you know, to when I was 17, maybe I wasn't cut out to do politics back then, looking back, maybe I wasn't. There were a lot of things I made mistakes on, you know, from like ages 14 when I started to, you know, 18. I, I wasn't perfect, granted, and, you know, I admit that. I'm still not perfect. But at the same time, you know, in my personal life, podcasting has given me a way to really express myself, not only in terms of politics, but now also, you know, pop culture and just kind of doing, you know, I guess monologues like this, uh, you know, which I've kind of taken from Bill Burr a bit. And, uh, you know, Dennis Miller now, he doesn't have his radio show anymore, but he now has a podcast. And, you know, Dennis Miller a few weeks ago when he on his podcast, The Dennis Mill Option, he said that podcasting is almost kind of like a, you know, a therapeutic thing for him because he can just, you know, talk at like whatever is on his mind. And I think Bill Burr treats, you know, his podcast, The Monday Morning Rant, the same way. And, uh, you know, that's what this podcast has kind of become. It's kind of become my silly jumble of, you know, politics, pop culture, you know, music, uh, and just, you know, me being me, and, uh, I'm so grateful to, you know, just have this audience that supports me and, uh, you know, loves the podcast and, you know, is helping me grow, and, like, that's the other thing is, even though I've been at this for a while, like, I still, I still feel like I'm new at this, if that makes sense. Like, yeah, I've, I've had to reinvent my brand a few times, 
right? But like I I feel like what I have now with the Whitfield report. And by the way, I I fucked up on the uh, intro and I said that you know the Ben Shapiro was from the Whitfield report, but. I'd like to crack my my first show was called the Whitfield Analysis. That was what I had on Blog Talk Radio. It was called the Whitfield Analysis, and then I scrap and then I brought the Whitfield Analysis brand to JFN. After JFN broke up, I brought that to NGC, and then after NGC kind of you know fell apart as a group, I scrapped it, started the Whitfield Report. And, uh, you know, I've been doing the Whitfield Report for four years now. So, you know, I've started over fresh. Obviously, I'm, all, I'm a lot older. So the Whitfield analysis is really, you know, my teen years, which, you know, is fun, but, like, I don't really count them all that much anymore. The Whitfield Report is, you know, me now in my current incarnation, and I'm, I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Um, and you guys are just awesome each and every one of you who listens and supports and you know I know many of you through several discords and just the interaction on you know the podcast feed and on my YouTube channel is excellent so um I don't want to make like a big speech here but just you know I guess guys Thank you so very much for your uh, continued support of the show. And, uh, you know, I'm honored for those of you who, who, you know, who have reached out and, you know, gotten to know me. I'm honored to know you guys. And, uh, you know, to, to those of you who are starting, you know, a podcast, um, you know, just keep it up, whether you're doing politics or pop culture or, or a, a, a music podcast or whatever, if you have it, if you really are dedicated to podcasting and you have a, uh, you know, a burning desire, um, you will make it in this business if you're passionate about podcasting like I am. Uh, you know, and I guess, like, that's the ultimate thing is even looking back as, like, a teenager, it wasn't even so much the politics for me that I was into. I just, you know, I've always loved podcasting ever since I was a teenager because it was, like, an art form that just spoke to me. And, you know, it just so happened that because I was good at, like, politics and events in school, that was kind of what I, gradu- I gravitated to initially. And... I became a politico, and then, you know, in recent years, I've kind of stood back a little bit, mainly because, you know, like, I haven't really fit in in anywhere, like, in one particular conservative group. I'm not conservative, you know, establishment or the clinical conservatives. You know, I'm not a neocon. Um, But, you know, I'm not, like, on the alt-right either. So, you know, I'm just doing, like, my own thing. I'm I'm a savage, you know, I'm a savage Sam, so, um, anyway, just, uh, yeah, folks, I, uh, I just can't believe I played that interview again, it's been a long time since I've heard it, and I'm just amazed at how much I've grown, you know, as a podcaster, and I'm 
I'm humbled, honestly. Uh, you know, by all of you who support me every day and uh, who just continue to support the podcast. So, uh, to each and every one of you listening out there, thank you so much. God bless you all. Um, I will be back tomorrow to do a political show. I'll follow up a bit on some of this uh, impeachment stuff. Or will it be an impeachment stuff? We still don't know at this point. Politics is a little fucked up right now. But when isn't it fucked up? Um, you know. So anyway, folks, uh, you know, with with all that in mind, uh, you know, I'm signing off. It's uh, Wednesday. I hope your hump day is going good. I hope if it is hump day, you're going to do what I do after this podcast and grab yourself a uh, nice, cold, frosty brew. And, uh, you know, maybe go hang out with some friends or if you're like me, you know, you're going to hang out and, you know, watch a little TV tonight or something and, you know, maybe do some tweeting or something. Um, I don't know. You do you. Just don't do anything illegal. We don't condone that here. But uh, anyway, folks, I'll be back tomorrow. And from all of us here at NGC Studios, uh, good night. God bless. God save this great nation. God free democracy in, in that order. And I'll see you tomorrow for the regular Thursday podcast. And of course, we've got the Saturday live stream coming up. Still making plans for that. But we'll, uh, you know, we'll get to that when we... Uh, you know, get to it. So anyway, folks, uh, good night and God bless. I'll see you on tomorrow's main episode of the Whitfield Report.